Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. John chapter 2, verse 28. We're in a series called Summer of Love. We're going through the book of 1 John, 10 weeks. It's a five-chapter book. We are diving in, doing some old-fashioned Bible studies together. And hopefully, uh, you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed it as teaching through this. It's always a challenge. It's always exciting. And this has been so much fun to just root into a book and teach through it. I've really enjoyed this. I believe that this text this morning is very important for our church. I think it's very important for everyone this morning. We're going to land in an exercise, I suppose you could say, together where we'll just sit and meditate on what it means for us. So, um, but I want to talk through what it means. This is a very interesting text, and it's important that we uh, understand its context. So let's read this together, and then I'm going to go back and talk through the meaning. Are you with me? Are we we together? All right. 28, verse two, or chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him in his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right 
has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been known. But what, what, excuse me, but what, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Amen. The word of the Lord. Are we ready? Because <laughs> that's pretty interesting, is it not? It's quite poetic. It's quite confusing and it's a verse and chapter and it's a, a passage that's often taken out of context. So I'm going to do my best to articulate what John is doing here in this text. So just briefly to summarize what's going on, he's continuing his argument that he's been making this entire time of what it looks like for the churches that he's planted to live out the gospel. What does it look like for the church to live as Jesus Lived, And there's all sorts of themes that John is using in this particular letter that keep coming back. It's basically three themes. Um, one is who Jesus is. And, and remember that John is combating uh, false teaching and um, all sorts of heresy that, were, that was going on in the first century church. But the other theme that keeps coming back, and you see it over and over again, is that the Christian life is marked by two things, in, according to John. It's marked by holiness so you hear John talk all about dealing with sin and it's marked by love. And so we recognize that next week we're gonna talk about some specific ways that we are to love one another, especially when we have brothers and sisters in need. So for John, those are the three themes that keep coming back. Who Jesus is, his incarnation, that he's the Messiah, as well as dealing with sin and learning how to love. That that's the, the essence of Christian life. And he continues to draw on the distinction of what it looks like to be a, a follower of Jesus. He's like, there are those that follow Jesus and those that don't. Those that have love for the Father and those that have love for the world, those that are children of God and those that are children of the devil. Are you with me? So that's kind of what's going on in this particular passage as he's continuing what he's been doing all along, um, but he, he begins to speak uh, kind of specific things out. So the, I want to just point out the point of this passage. We'll start at what he's trying to articulate, and we're going to work backwards to how do we actually figure this out and work it out in our own lives. So for John, um, verse 29 is kind of the emphasis. It's this. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So John connects the way you behave as a Christian to the character and nature of who God is. So you are to live in a way that is consistent with who you are and who God is. 
And so if you see, he says this three different times, but he says it at the end in 3.10, and he, makes the disti- uh, uh, he kind of makes it specific. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, and anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So John is making a very clear statement that to be a Christian is to live out of who you already are. So remember when we talked about this with Paul in Paul's letters? Paul will say something like this. You are holy, so be holy. Um, Or you are a saint, so act like a saint. This is what's true about you as a follower of Jesus. You are a child of God, therefore act like a child of God. In in essence, he's saying, live a life that is consistent with who you already are. He implies that you are to live in a way that, that reflects the nature and character of God. So let's be specific. Throughout 1 John, he'll say, God is eternal, therefore we have eternal life. And we're to live in view of this eternal life. God is righteous, therefore live righteously. Or God loves, so love one another. God doesn't sin or, or there is no sin in God, therefore we are to stop sinning. That's kind of his, his ethic, the, the social kind of response to the gospel that he's saying is that the, the way you are to live is to reflect the nature and character of God. Does that make sense? You're with me on that. It's quite, so it it should be really easy. He's making it very clear that this is how we ought to live, that we are to live out of our true identity as children of God, which implies that we are designed to live a specific way. So we are to function properly out of who we are. How we function and interact in the world should reflect what is truest about us, which comes from our identity that comes from God. So the other week, my wife was walking uh, with Ezra and she was walking in Long Beach. And of course, Long Beach throws their, their stuff out on the sidewalk. And we found this. She found this. How awesome is this? It's a beautiful little toy for a toddler. And it's like, you know, a four-wheeler. It's amazing. And it was covered in all sorts of nasty. And it, it was full of just all sorts of stuff, cobwebs and spiders. I hate spiders. Um, and uh, anyway, so we, we picked it up, we took it home, and I washed it off, I cleaned it all up, and I set Ezra on it, and he loved it, and I would just stand behind him and push him, like this. And he would, he would like mess around with this, and he would play with it, and he, we had so much fun. And then I, I discovered that you can unscrew this piece, and there was a battery inside. So... I'm, I'm like, I'm like, we hit the jackpot. Okay. So I, there, the battery was in there. I go on, you know, Amazon prime two days later, have the charge. It's a very rare charger, but they found it. it was super cheap. Two days later, get it. It's one of those batteries you have to charge for like 36 hours. So I charged it for 36 hours. Meanwhile, while it's charging, Ezra loves it. He's playing on the thing as I push him and then he doesn't want to sit on it. He just wants to be like dad and push this thing all over the place. And then I came home for, from work on the day it was finally charged. I put the battery in there. I grab Ezra and I put him on top and I go, and he gets terrified. He gets, he gets off the machine. He does not want to be on it when there's power. He doesn't want to use it the way it's designed to be used. Instead, he wants to get out and push it from behind. And for so many of us, 
We live our lives without the way it was intended to be. We're designed for peace and joy and love and grace and, and, and resurrection and power and humility and acceptance and all these beautiful things. We are children of God, but we want to stand behind our life and push it from behind. And we've forgotten how to operate the way we were designed to operate. Are you with me? What John is saying is you have to learn how to function properly, that you actually are battery powered. <laughs> and you, you might have spent your entire life pushing this thing from behind, but he's gonna show you another way to live. And it's far more fun than pushing it from behind. And so what John essentially does is he begins to say, look, you're designed for purity and holiness. You're designed to reflect the nature and character of God. You, the truest thing about you is that the characteristics that, that we point to God and say, that's what you're like. He's, he says, that's what's true about you too. But the only way to live those things out and have those attributes is to accept your true identity and live from that place. It's to live and operate this thing with the power that God has given you. So he says, the only way to do that is by recognizing that you are a child of God. And just a quick side note, whenever I start operating in my old self, the, the, the anxious self, the self-hatred, the insecurity, the fear, I move towards sin, anger, and pride, it often comes down to the time that I decide that what God says about me isn't true and that I'm not good enough and that I have to prove my worth and my worth comes from what other people say about me, not what God has said about me. And I begin to see that the enemy uses that, my insecurities, my sinful, my sinful flesh, all that stuff is, is me not believing ultimately what is true and operating outside of the false self. So I see this all the time in my life. So what John does is say, get your identity straight and all the other stuff will work itself out. And here are some characteristics of what it looks like to not have your identity straight. And so he goes on and so let's skip uh, verse one, two and start in three. We're gonna come back to verse one and two because that's a step that he, he kind of, he makes this very unique um, John, as a literary tool, kind of makes a statement about God's love. Um, but his main thrust of his argument in this passage is, is kind of distinguishing what it means to be called a child of God. It, it, it looks at how you live. To be a child of God is, is simply to see how you live. Like you live righteously. You love your brothers and sisters. That's, those are the markers of a child of God. But he starts back in, um, and he's gonna, he's gonna talk about what it looks like to not be identified with those characteristics. In other words, he's gonna show us ways that are inconsistent with who you are. Are you with me? Verse three, it says this. All who, have hope, uh, all who have this hope in him, in Jesus, purify themselves. So it's pursue purity, just as he is pure. And then listen to this. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. I want you to circle the word lawlessness because to understand the next section, we, we have to know the mindset that John has because it's, it's, it's very confusing if you don't understand the, the broader context of what he's referring to when he talks about sin and lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him 
is no sin. So Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross took away all of our sins once and for all. And in him, there was no sin and there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And that sinning is connected to lawlessness. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Remember that relationship with, with God is everything in John's gospel. So to see Jesus, it's he's been revealed to you or to know him is to be in right relationship with him. So if you haven't been in right relationship with God, you haven't seen him or known him for who he is. That's kind of his thought process. And then verse seven, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. So again, he's making that point three different times. Um, but let's just talk about sin and lawlessness because what's John saying in this? It can be very confusing. I just need you to know that Christians do sin, okay? You don't come to Jesus and then live a perfect life. Can, you, does, can we just say amen to that? Okay, anyone else a sinner? That have, anyone else sin in here? Okay. Okay, good, all right, I'm in good company. Um, the word sin is an archery term and it's an ancient term for what ha- the word that's used to describe what happens when you pull the bow and arrow and shoot at a target and you miss the target. When you miss the mark, that's the word sin. That's where it comes from. So it, in other words, um, the way it's used in moral issues, it's that we were designed to live a particular way of life. We were designed to live in perfection. And anytime we don't live in that perfection, we miss the mark. We sin. So you were designed to live a particular way and God designed creation to function a particular way. And anytime you operate outside of that original intent, um, you're living outside of what God intended and that's called sin, okay? That's what sin is. But lawlessness is something else. And it's a word that's used by Paul as well and other New Testament writers. And it's, it's much bigger than the sin issue because as I said, Christian sin Lawlessness is not just about breaking some moral code or moral law. Lawlessness, this is the idea of it. It's a big word. There's all sorts of scholarly work on this subject, but it's basically rejecting the authority of God and exalting one's own self above God, okay? So it's a resentment of God. It's a rejection of God. It's a refusal to submit or recognize or even understand the higher authority that God has and is. So it's an intentional rejection or refusal to submit your ways to God's ways. So when, when, when John is talking about sinning, as he moves on, he's, he's referring to the type of sin that's connected to lawlessness, to the kind of person that rejects sin as even sin. They're living, they're, they're just saying there is no other way to live. They're just rejecting that authority that God has completely. Are you with me? And it's connected to something scarier. It's connected to the devil. It's connected to the world, the operating powers that are resisting God's way of life that's coming up against the church. And just to put it in our context, you see, if you're new to the faith or you don't know Jesus or what the Christian journey is really about, the foundation of the Christian life is really about a recognition or submission to a loving God. It's about entering into right relationship with God and submitting to his ways. And that's when when you experience transformation, you recognize that there's a great power out there that desires us to thrive and flourish as humans. And his way is that the way to do that. And he will fill us with his presence so that we can learn to submit to our ways to his ways. So when we reject that and live outside of that, we, we go down this path that's lawlessness and sin. Are you with me? 
Okay, that's, that's like really heavy lifting for me. Lots of, lots, of, lots of theological stuff right there. You're welcome. Uh, you don't have to thank me. Thank you. Thank you myself. All right. Children of God, let's keep moving. Um, it's good to talk about sin once in a while. It keeps popping up in the scripture. Verse eight. <laughs> it, gets, it gets really interesting now. Listen to this. It says, the, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. And it's connected to lawlessness, Okay. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Okay, so now there's this new concept, children of God versus children of the devil. And John says, if the one who continues on living in the way of sin that's connected to lawlessness is characterized as a child of the devil. And what he's referring to is these are people that have the characteristics of those that continue to reject God's way of life in their ordinary life, that they pursue life in a way that leads to death and destruction, that they are held captive by a greater power that is working against them to corrupt their very existence that they are held captive by their sinful nature, by sin, but also they're participating in the destruction of creation and themselves by not recognizing, by not being in right relationship with God. And, and if you look out in the world, you can see how the devil, Satan or the evil one, you can see how um, the world is winning all over the place when you see systems of injustice working against the individuals. Poverty, racism, human trafficking, modern day slavery. We can talk about all sorts of religious persecution, all sorts of large injustices working against individuals. Um, when babies are being killed, I mean, you just talk when kids are becoming products of war. That's evil working against the individual. What John is also talking about, not just those things, but how, how as individuals, we can choose to operate in this world with destructive patterns and thoughts that are corrupted by the devil himself. And we don't even know how we're living because we don't call life the way God calls life. We don't call sin, sin. We just experience life for what it is. Do you guys know what I'm talking about here? Now, on that note, I just want to say this. We don't need to be angry at that. We need to be filled with compassion because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. We don't need to get angry and stand on, on, on you know, soapboxes and call out the sin of individuals that are subject to lawlessness and despair. We need to be filled with compassion and walk with people as friends who show people how to really live. That's what John is saying here. He's saying the way you live your life should reflect the very nature and character of God so that when people have questions, there's no doubt because you're not living like them. You, in fact, are standing as a witness to who God is and what he is like. And what he is like is like a generous father who calls you children. We need to be filled with such compassion that our hearts are broken for those that are lost 
in the world. It's time to get over our pettiness, over our insecurities about what people will think when we start talking about Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus because they're hurting, they're lost, and they're dying without him. They don't even know how to live, is what John is saying. And we need to be filled with compassion to go out and make ourselves look awkward and put ourselves in uncomfortable situations in love so that they may be saved and experience life in this life instead of death in this life. Are you with me? I think that's the call is in this particular passage. We just, if you look out, people are living in fear and isolation and loneliness. They're living in sin. They're held captive to behaviors that they don't even want to participate in. And they need Jesus. They need to know that they're loved by a heavenly father. They need real family and community to walk with them because that's what this church thing is all about. Can we do it? Please. It breaks my heart that it's at a laundromat that this kid is hearing for the first time that he can do what God put it inside of him to do. That the people he's looking for are down the street at a church called the Garden. It breaks my heart that he, has, he doesn't have a, a father or mother that has spoken that into his life or a community. That's what we're here for. It's to draw out the truest thing about each other and say, no, 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 God put that in you and that's not for you, that's for other people. And when you don't follow that, other people are gonna miss out on his great plan of renewing all things because you weren't a lawyer. And because that, that mother didn't say, I believe in you, and that father didn't say, let me show you, and because the friends didn't say, I can see that in you. That's what we need, sorry. <laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> I'm not sorry. That's what we need. <laughs> the other thing is this. The enemy wants to crush the garden church. The enemy wants to crush your spirit, your mind, your relationships. He wants to destroy you. Do you know this? I talked about it last week, and I feel an urge all week long to remind us that there is a spiritual battle going on. When John talks in his epistle, he talks all about the devil, Satan, and the evil one, which is his language to describe or refer to the one who exercises cosmic power that is real over human beings that is expressed in the rejection of the revelation of God's redemptive plan. In other words, there, is, there are beings and a being working against God's people and world. And he is trying to destroy you. He wants you to be full of anxiety, fear, and pain. He wants you to be isolated and alone. He wants you to not believe in yourself or know who you really are loved by because that keeps you from doing damage. It says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And what that means for us is when we embody the message and mission of Jesus, we are in fact continuing to destroy the works of the devil in our life and others around us. When you, when you embody the message of Jesus in your own life, when you begin to live this stuff out, you are destroying the works of the devil. We need to wake up to the spiritual warfare around us. This is not neutral territory. This is not neutral territory. I was hearing a story from someone last night who literally was thinking to themselves, nobody loves me, I shouldn't even be here. That is the enemy coming against them that wants to destroy this joy 
encouraging, joy-filled encouragement to our church. She is a great gift. And the enemy is coming against her in that way. There are distractions in our gatherings. There are all sorts of things that you battle to get here. I get it. But I just have to stay, say, we have to recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on. I don't believe there's a, a, a demon under every rock at all. But I do believe some of you have physical ailments that have been caused by an enemy. I believe that. I also believe it's natural. We have to open our minds to the reality that Jesus and the New Testament writers talked about. There is a kingdom of darkness that is losing the battle and the kingdom of God is prevailing, but we have to participate and engage. Are you with me on that? Fight the battle. When you come, pray against the enemy in your life. Pray against the work that the devil is trying to do in your life. Battle it with spiritual reality, not with physical stuff. Think about that. You're trying to fight spiritual battles with physical things. It's not going to work. Okay? You with me? Here we go. John is saying that no one who is born of God keeps on sinning because God's seed seed is in them. And this is where it gets quite confusing. So no one that's born of God keeps on sinning. I'm like, well, I sin. It's very easy to reflect in my life. So does that mean the seed is not in me? God's Holy Spirit, God's spiritual DNA. No, that's not what he means. In his mind, he's saying this, Christians will sin. But if we are truly of God... We will agree with God and call sin what it is. And then we'll confess that sin and turn away from that sin and pursue a different way of life. And eventually, as we continue on for eternity, we will eventually be who we already are as children of God, reflecting the nature and character of God as people. That's what he's saying there. So, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. It's very simple. Anyone who does not love their brother or sister is not God's child. That's quite dramatic, don't you think? <laughs> it's a little, you know, like whatever happened to blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Like, if you don't love your brother and sister, you are a child of the devil. If you don't do what is right, you are not a child of God. Is anyone offended? I'm offended. I mess this up all the time. What he's saying is this is how you ought to function as a child of God, is simply to live in a way that is consistent with who you already are, designed to function in perfect relationship, to live with joy and peace and freedom and grace and extend this life that God intended everyone to live to other people. And these are the attributes and characteristics of those that have come to understand the deep and powerful truth that you are a child of God. So he, he makes this great argument. And it's, again, I'm just reiterating the argument. It's just simply that because of what God has done, because of who he is, because of who you are, because of who he is, just live your life out of that. It's that simple. So we can spend all morning talking about our sin issues, can't we? We talked about it last week. We, have, we all have the lists of all the things that we aren't, all the things that we've blown, all the reasons that we've messed up, all the, the problems, the pride, the anger, the lust, the pornography addiction, the alcoholism, the broken relationship after broken relationship, the throwing yourselves in the poor relationship, all the things that you collected over the years. And we can start dealing with those things. And guess what? You should. It's great. But in order to have the characteristics of a child of God that, that it's expected of you, you have to actually experience and believe that you are loved by God. There's no way you're going to get here unless you experience it for yourself. Ezra's not going to enjoy this. He's just going to continue to push it unless it's actually a charged battery. 
that you are, in order for you to do the stuff, you have to function out of who you really are. And so that's where this section, verse one, comes in. And listen to this again. This is why it's so important, where John will argue and say, yeah, you, you don't have to deal with sin anymore, or you don't have to keep on sinning. Um, you're gonna do what's right naturally. You're gonna reflect the character of God because, because it's very easy once you've come to realize who you are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. In order to fully understand how to live this Christian life, we have to believe this passage. We have to experience this passage for ourselves. Out of the nature and character of God, out of his great generosity and love, he has lavished on us a new identity. You're, not, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer seen as a sinner. You're no longer an orphan. But you are a child of God. And for most of us, this is nearly impossible for us to accept, is it not? It's nearly impossible for us to believe. But that's true of us. We live in a world that operates uh, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. And so, to close, um, I have Kyle, why don't you come up here? I wanted to actually try something new. And I thought we would actually um, sit and meditate on some truth for, as a church. And so I'm just gonna invite you to put your Bibles away and your notes away and take a risk and I'm going to borrow and just practically steal from a spiritual mentor of mine. Um, although I only met him once, I've read almost everything he's written. His name's Brennan Manning, and he passed away a couple years ago. And I would like to lead you in a, a quiet reflection that I hope will help you receive today what God wants to give you. So would you just close your eyes, if that's helpful, so you won't be distracted. I'm going to share for a little bit. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you? Not the world in some vague concept or the person next to you, but that God loves you. That God loves you in such a way that he would rather die than to be without you without you. God alone made you and he wants to be in relationship with you as a perfect father wants to be in great relationship with his little boy or his little girl. God loves you. I want you to think about that for a second, that the creator of the universe loves you. And if you're me, you might think like me. And you might think to yourself, there's no way. There's no way. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I'm a failure. I'm not devout enough. 
If he could only see the real me, he would not want to be with me or love me. I'm a liar. I'm an imposter. I can't get my act together. I'm angry. I'm prideful. I lose my temper. I'm petty. I shouldn't get that kind of love. How on earth could he love me? Do you realize that when you scorn yourself with self-hatred and doubt, you scorn all the plans that God has for you, all the dreams he has for you. Self-hatred is an indecent luxury which no disciple can afford because self-hatred puts you at the center of the world. And that's called idolatry. Listen to these words. I believe that on judgment day, the Lord will ask you one question and one question only. Do you believe that I love you? That I desire you? That I long to be with you? That I waited for you day after day for you? The real Christians will say, yes, Lord, yes. I know that you love me. I know that you love me. And I tried to live my life around that love. Yet some of us will say, I heard about it. I read about it somewhere. But I just thought it was a lofty concept. And most of us fail at love and relationships because we have never surrendered ourselves to the incomprehensible, crazy, furious, unashamed, powerful fury that is the love of God, the jealous love that demands you to hand over everything else so he can show you love. Jesus said, you are to love one another as I have loved you, a love that will possibly lead to the bloody anguished gift of yourself. A love that forgives 70 times seven, that keeps no record of wrong. And he says to us that this will be the standard of your discipleship, love. How, how, how can we meet this standard of discipleship? If you've never experienced for yourself the great scandalous love that is for you, you. Brothers and sisters, do you know the love of the Father? The Christian message is not about going to church or reading your Bible or learning how to do good or be a nice person. It's way more offensive than that. And it begins with you coming to know the love the Father has for you. Jesus, the risen Lord, is in this room right now. It says that whenever three or more are gathered, he's there in their midst. Do you believe that he is true to his promise and faithful to his word? Then if you do, listen to the Christian message, the essence of the good news. This is the core and the essential. Jesus, the risen Christ, with us here right now, loves and accepts you as you are. You don't have to change to get his love. You don't have to give up your sin. You don't have to have a conversion experience. He wants you to. He wants to transform your life, but you don't have to change to get his love. You already have it. 
Jesus dwelling within you, here now, knows all of your weaknesses. He knows all of your faults. He knows all of your character defects, your past, your past words, your past deeds. And he says to you, I love you just as you are and not as you should be. This, brothers and sisters, is what God has lavished on you, that you are his beloved. You are his little boy. You are his little boy and you are his little girl. And he loves you just as you are and not as you should be. Until you have surrendered yourself to this great love, until you have experienced for yourself the great depth that God has gone to call you his child, until that's happened, you will never be able to reflect your identity to others. So receive this morning what is ultimately true about you. You are a child of God. I am a child of God. Say it with me. I am a child of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.